very, uh, very important. They are very life-giving and everything. But this one is just fun. This is my favorite one that we're doing. And it's the spiritual discipline of giving. If you guys notice my shirt, it says, Live Generously. I love this slogan. Uh, how many of you all have Live Generously shirts? You've, you've taken part in it. Yeah, excellent, excellent. We, th- this is a great motto. Um, see, all the spiritual disciplines can bring joy. You know, prayer, uh, studies, mission silences, they can bring satisfaction and fun. But this one is the most fun. The first thing that we have to understand, though, to wrap our heads around this particular spiritual discipline of giving is that God, at his most basic bottom line, if you try to boil God down to it, you can't do it because he's beyond estimation and beyond comprehension. But if you look for the bottom line of what God is, is that he is a giver. He is. The first thing we see God doing in the Bible If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, is giving. He is giving life. He is giving uh, everything. And and, uh, he tells that the first statement that God makes in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, he talks to the man and he says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. uh, Rule over creation. The second thing he says is this, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So the first thing he does, and he says, listen, Adam, I'm giving all of this to you to sustain your life. I'm giving you life. I'm giving you what you need to sustain your life. The first thing we see God doing is giving. At his most basic level, God's a giver. Do you know what the word Christian means? The word Christian. We use the word Christian. Do you even know what it means? I I didn't for a while. Christian is actually an insult. I don't know if you know that or not. It was first an insult. Um, The Romans noticed that early Christian teaching was based on followers of Christ being like Christ. That was their earliest teaching, that if you want to be a, a follower of Christ, you need to be like Christ. So they, they came up with the word Christian, which means little Christ. Oh, look, there's a little Christ. Oh, look, there's a little Christ. It was an insult that the Christians would, would took this as a badge of honor, that yes, we want to be like Christ in everything. That is our goal. We want to be little Christ's. And if God is a giver at his most basic level, that means that Christians are givers at our most basic level too. That's what we are. You can be a giver without being a Christian. You know that, but you can't be a Christian without being a giver. Okay? You can't. You can try. You won't work, it won't work out. Okay? Because giving, number one, is the external overflow of an inner belief. Okay? That's what giving is. It is a, an external overflow of an inner belief, and that is simply this, that others are more important than you. That's what it means. It means that, other, that if you believe that others are more important than you, as the Bible teaches us, giving is the external overflow of that. Philippians 2, 3-4 says this. says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You got to understand how radical this teaching is. How countercultural this teaching is to value others over, over yourself. We live in a world that shouts, you are it. Take, take care of yourself. Look out for number one. And the Bible teaches us a radically different way of living. Radically different. So radical that most people can't wrap their heads around it. Not looking to your own interests, he says, but each to the interests of others. Last week, we talked about the beast within. That was what we talked about. Spoiled kid demanding his own way. Spoiled brat saying, me first, me first. And that's the default mode for humanity. 
That is the default mode for humanity. We are spoiled, self-centered, narcissistic people, barring a work of God in our lives. Okay? So the default mode of humanity is that it is not to believe that others are better than us. Okay? So giving is the external overflow of that internal belief that you just value others more than yourself. And if we're going to be Christians, that's what we have to do. The second thing that we have to understand about giving is that giving is worship. Giving is worship. Most people don't realize that giving is worship. It is as bigger, it's probably a bigger act of worship than what we just did. We just sang praise to God, and I hope your hearts were moved. Were your hearts moved during worship? Mine were, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we offered that up to God. Some of us don't have much, like me, don't have much to offer up to God in the way of singing. But here's my heart, right? Well, but, guys, giving is just as much, if not more, worship than what we just gave to God. Look at this in Genesis 4, chapter, uh, Genesis 4 verse 2 through 4. The first act of worship we see in the Bible is giving. Okay? Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Okay? They did not, that was the first worship service in history, was an offering. Okay? That, that was the way it is. And, and it bothers me that people separated worship from giving. You can't separate them, they are the same thing. Okay? It's not separate. Worship, guys, you all want to know what worship is? Here, I'm going to give you a definition of what worship is. Check this out. Worship is simply acknowledging everything that God is through everything that we are. Our best for his glory. That's what worship is. Okay? It's not necessarily singing. It's, it's just acknowledging everything that God is through everything that we are. Our best for his glory. And that's what it is. So worship is giving. I think that probably people in the Old Testament, if they came to uh, Catalyst Christian Church, if they kind of got in a time machine, they came up here, and they saw our worship service, they'd kind of scratch their heads. and be like, what are you guys doing? You're, you, why are you singing? Why is the guy up there preaching? Because that's not what they did in their worship services. And if they, if they were standing out there talking to people coming in and saying, why are you here? And people say, oh, man, I just, I really need to be refill, uh, refilled. I'm, I'm empty. I need to be filled. They would go like, what? Um, man, this is really different because, see, the way we worshiped was we arrived full of, of, of stresses and problems and, and everything, and, and, and we are cognizant of our sins, and, and, and we are bringing offerings, and w- the goal for us is to leave empty. That, that, that's what we're doing. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we laid all our stuff down, because, man, we want to be free from all of that stuff. We want to be empty. We want to leave this worship service empty. And these people want to be filled? It's odd. And they would probably really think it's odd that we have like a three-minute part of our service where giving happens. They would, they would just like, isn't that kind of the, the big thing? Isn't that the whole point of being here is the, the giving? Isn't that what? That's what these Old Testament people would think about us. And you know, there's something to that because we've lost that in our church. See, giving is worship. Don't ever think it's not. And there are three types of biblical giving. Three types. 
that we all need to be a part of, okay? That we all need to be a part of. The first one, and the one that probably most people have heard of the most, is called the tithe. Okay, Leviticus 27.30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, I've read this passage so many times, but when it just jumped out to me. Two words in this passage, in this verse, jumped out to me. The word belongs and holy. I want you to maybe, if you have your Bibles out, underline those. Because I never thought about the first 10% of my income being Belong, belongs and holy. All right, like, like I said, two words. The first one is belongs. It belongs to the Lord. Um, there are things that belong to me. They're mine. Um, they're not yours. If they're mine, they're not yours. We have the whole sense, sense of belonging. I, I, my house belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you, right? My car belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. Um, this iPad here uh, belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of our understanding of belongs? So when... God says, the tithe belongs to me. What does that mean? It means it's his. And, and what happens if I have something that belongs to you and I keep it? What's that called? Stealing, yeah. It hit me, guys. It hit me this week. And everything you have belongs to the Lord. It's okay. It's okay to admit that. Everything you have. We've talked about that before. Many of us have a problem with that. I don't really know why we do. Why does everybody have a problem with the fact that everything belongs to the Lord, that we don't really own anything? Why is that? It must be comical to God to watch us claim ownership over stuff. You ever think about that? He's up in heaven, and he sees the whole timeline of human history, and like here's where he created, and, and like here is where Jesus is returning, and, and, and we're somewhere around in here or there. I don't know where we are, but you occupy like that much of that timeline, and I wonder if he just kind of scratches his head and laughs at us when we're like, oh, you know, this is, this is my house, this is, this is my place, and then you know, for that, and then you die, and someone else owns your piece of property, and they're like, oh, this is mine, this is mine, and they die, and someone else owns it, and I, I wonder if God was to look at the entire thing of maybe the, the piece of property you call home or, or the dollars that you have, how many people have owned those? He must, he just, he, I wonder if it's just comical to him. He's like, you don't own anything. It's all mine. And when you are no longer here, somebody else is going to have it. And when they're gone, somebody else is going to have it. And when you're gone, someone else, we don't own anything. Okay, see, it's okay. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to rec recognize that. And, and, and once you realize that, you're peace with it. Life just gets a lot easier, you guys. God owns everything. Okay. We stop holding on to things we weren't able to hold on to anyway. So when, when, when God says the tithe belongs to me, that shouldn't offend anybody. Of course it does. Not just the tithe. The whole thing belongs to you. Okay? That, that, that's, that's not a controversial thing. We all know that at our core. That's why we have things called wills. When we die, we pass on stuff because we know we can't take it with us. So that's not a controversial subject. But the second thing is this, is that it's holy. The tithe is holy. To the Lord. The word holy means set apart, cherished. You know, my marriage to me is holy. It's set apart to me because it's exclusive to me. My marriage is that way. Um, my children, my relationship, with, th th that is holy to me. It, it's, it's set apart, cherished, of high value. And the tithe, which is the first 10% of your income, is holy to the Lord. Now, what in the world is he talking about? How could this be holy? Why? Well, tithe. 
It's not just a check. It's not just cash or an online click. It's not that. I was wondering, what's so holy about it? Why would God say this? Well, this is it. This is why. Plain and simple. It's a statement of trust. It's a statement of trust. God knows that the biggest stressor in your life, in my life, and everyone's, the biggest thing that causes anxiety, the biggest thing we need to survive is money. We know that. He knows that. Why does he know that? Because he created you and he cares. That's why. He knows that that is the number one thing we depend on. Okay? That he knows that. And when you're a tither, when you consistently give the first 10% of your income, what are you saying to God? You're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your command. I trust your word. I trust. And guys, and, and that is why it is holy to God. Because it's a statement that you believe he is worthy. I'm taking the number one thing that I need to survive that society says I don't have enough of, that society says is the measure of my worth. And I'm giving the first 10% to you. That's why it's holy. You say, well, that's not really true. God doesn't gauge our trust in him by the tithe. You say that. Well, think about it this way. When you purchase a car or a home, anybody ever sold a car or a home, something of value? Anybody ever, ever bought that? What's the first thing you have to do with the, with it to know that the buyer is serious? What do you put down? Earnest money. Exactly. Why? Why is that the statement to the seller that you're serious? Because where your heart is, there your money is also. Okay? I've, um, I, the only way a seller knows you're serious is if you put up money first. I found that to be true. I've organized lots of mission trips. I was in youth ministry for nine years. Sometimes we did as many as four, five, six trips a year. You know who, who, you know who I know was going on the trip? Even though a lot of people signed up, you know how I knew who was actually going on the trip? People that paid. People that didn't pay, you know what they did? Day of the trip, oh, you know, can't go. Something really came up. We found out that through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, we used to want to offer it for free, okay? Because people in financial distress and in debt, why would we make them pay for a course? You know what we found out? 100% of the time, after about session three or four, they quit coming. People that paid for it finished the course. Plain and simple, guys, where our money is, their heart is also. And guys, that's why God says that is a statement of trust. That means you're serious. It's a universal law, and we all know it. God says the, the, the tithe is holy to him because it's a statement of seriousness, a statement that your heart belongs to him. All right, it's a statement that says, you, Lord, where my heart is. Okay? Deuteronomy 14.22 said, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. That's why it is a discipline. It is a spiritual discipline. It's not something we can just kind of walk in and say, oh, yeah, I, I think I'll give this. No, it's a discipline that we have to plan. I've been a tither my whole adult life, you guys. I really have. I have. I, that's one thing that I can actually say with truth. Even in college, I was a tither. Um, yeah, 10% of zero is zero. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, when, when, I, when I had a summer job, I made $6 an hour in a lumberyard. I made $6 an hour. I made $240 a week. I worked 40 hours, 7 to 3.30, Monday through Friday, clock in, clock out, no overtime, guaranteed $240 a week. And so I gave $24 to the church I went to. Of you tithing to this church like I do my mortgage, 
I have an auto draft at the beginning of the month to pay off my mortgage. Comes out the first of the month. I never see it, never write a check. It goes straight out of my bank account. I, don't, I, I, I just have it scheduled. Same thing is true of our tithe. We have it scheduled at a certain date. It comes out. It's part of our plan, part of our financial plan, because it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's something that we have to consciously do, like prayer, like study. It's something we have to constantly do. You have to set aside a time. You have to plan. Otherwise, you'll fail. Plain and simple. Rachel and I have been tithing as a couple for more than 24 years now. We got married June 29th, 1996. In July 1996, we started tithing as a couple. Why? Because God says to do it. I've said before and i say it again until the day I die. I've never found a command of God anywhere in Scripture that if followed would ruin me. Never have. People throughout time have tried to do that and they can't find it. The tithe, you guys, is what you give directly to your church. And so people are like, okay, I can get into this, you know, uh, I can get into this thing. I understand. i got to trust God. So, so what does that look like? You know, uh, does that include things like giving to Habitat for Humanity and our orphanage in India and everything? The answer is no. That's something else. That's the second category. That is a different category known as the special gifts. So we've got the tithe that goes right to your church. Special gifts go to other things. Deuteronomy 12.6 says, Bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. A special gift is to organizations that do the work of God in the world. Things like, like our orphanage in, in, in India, like Compassion International, like World Vision, like Habitat for Humanity, Focus on the Family, whatever, whatever the Lord leads you to. These organizations that do kingdom work, but they aren't your church. That's what a special gift is. It's not part of your tithe. That's a special gift. We have to understand that the tithe that goes to your local church, special gifts go to parachurch organizations doing the, God's work in the world. Then there's a third type of giving that is biblical. It is called the unstructured gift. And these are things that the Christian simply sees in the world that needs love, that needs their love, okay? Uh, someone needs something. A neighbor needs help with a car payment or, or whatever. It's unstructured. It is not planned out. But it, it flows out of the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, where the, you're walking down the street and the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to do something. That's what the unstructured gift is. It's not a regular thing. Like I said, just Christian following the leading of the Holy Spirit. In college, I was part of FCA. That was my lifeline. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have a car. I couldn't really get out to church much. And so FCA was kind of my church. And um, our sponsor was, was, a, na was a, name that, a guy named Steel Harmon. He was an old football coach. I found out later that he was actually in the Center College Hall of Fame. He's a five-letter athlete. Unbelievable guys. But, man, he, did he love the Lord and did he love college students. He wasn't afraid of us. And he was just an incredible role model for me. And uh, I, I was a junior. I had recently gotten engaged to my beautiful fiance and, uh, and, and everything I, I told him. And about two weeks after Rachel and I got engaged, I was, went to the campus post office, and there's a letter in there. It was from Seal Harmon. And I opened it up, and in it was a $20 bill with the words, take your fiance out for a date. I'm really proud of you both. Love steel. It's seeing a need, wanting to bless someone, and going for it. That's what an unstructured gift is. I learned a lot from that man. I learned the joy in giving. 
He, I think he was more excited for that than we were. But man, a college student, not eating cafeteria food, <laughs> taking your fiance out for a date, man, that was really something. And he saw that investing in young couples and young people was kind of his passion. And he put his money where his mouth was, and I have no doubt that I was one of many who received that from him. See, guys, what Seal Harmon taught me was that we can give without loving. We can never love without giving. Let me say that again. We can give without loving. We can never love without giving. James 2, 14 through 17 says this. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Such a, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself and not accompanied by action is dead. Wow. Jesus gave us two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, listen, if you see someone without daily food, without, without clothes, and, and, and you call yourself a Christian, how can the love of Christ be in you? That's what, he, that's what the Bible says. Right? We can give without loving, but we can never love without giving. And one of the things I love about being part of this church, you guys are probably one of the most giving churches I've ever seen. I got nothing but praise for you. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. Like, you guys are just amazing. Especially you know, last week, you just blessed the staff with, we, we've never had that before. Never in 21 years of ministry has anyone blessed us like that before. Um, one of the, my favorite things about this church is the Thanksgiving and the Christmas outreach that we do every year. Um, it's getting ready to happen. If those of you guys that are visiting don't know what this is, um, about five, six years ago, uh, I've been involved in the Inside Out Dad ministry in the prison where it reached fathers for Christ. And um, we decided that, hey, uh, after hearing some of the stories, a lot of their families wouldn't have a Thanksgiving because financial hardship, incarceration affects that. And, and so we decided as a church, hey, let's provide Thanksgiving. Let's, let's take the guys in the class and they'll sign up their families and we'll do Thanksgiving. And, and the families were just overwhelmed. Uh, I, there were some interesting phone calls because they didn't really think that we were serious, and I think a few of us got cussed out on the phone by people that were suspicious of what we were doing. Once, we, once, we found, once they found out we were serious, we were able to go take that, and we had so much fun doing that that we decided to do Christmas too. And we said, hey, fathers, $50 limit per kid. Tell us what you want. We'll get it for you, and we'll take it over to your kids. Say, hey, this is from your dad. He wants you to have a great Christmas. That's one of my favorite things to do. And you know that first year? You don't want to know how weird this church is, those of you that are visiting and watching. You know how weird this church is? We had a line. We had twice as many people wanting to sponsor kids as we had kids. And we had people, like, bidding, you know, uh, for the, the right. And, like, out, there's, like, an auction for, for the, the kids to sponsor them. And you guys came through in spades and, and came through in droves. And the guys were so blessed. It's unbelievable. We've been doing this every year. Well, this year... Um, uh, we're, we are going to continue doing that, even though we haven't been able to do Inside Out Dad. We're going to uh, um, get some guys from Revive Lifehouse. I talked with Jason Carter, one of the, one of the uh, uh, leaders over there, and he's going to get us the names of people as well as, as families from Jessamine County Early, Early Learning Village. So we're actually going to serve more families this year during COVID than we did last year. How about that, huh? Yeah, absolutely. But check this out. This morning when I got to church, there's a letter in the mail. I got this this morning. I want to read part of it to you. 
David, this is name withheld. I'm not sure if you remember who I am or not, but I took your class in Jessamine County Jail. Of course I remembered him. I just wanted to write you in hopes that you will still take me into your church if he only knew how much we want him here. Since I got transferred from Nicholsville to different counties and I've been involved in some programs and now I'm a mentor in one of the programs. He's teaching other inmates now. I go for parole on the first of the year. I would love to be a part of your church. I just lost my wife seven weeks ago and started to give up, but I'm not, gonna qu- I'm, uh, but I'm not going to quit on me. I know that I want better for my, my, my life and my family's life. My wife passed away because of drug use. I've got four years clean, November 18th. I can't or won't go back to it. And then he says this. I also want to thank you and your church for the Thanksgiving and Christmas last year. If it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have had anything. I've changed my life around and going the right way, and there's no looking back. I hope that for you and your your family are doing okay. I'll go for now, but I'll write again soon. I hope that you will take me into your church. I just wanted to call him this morning and say it's not my church, it's God's church, and you are always welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. This is the one place you are welcome. But here's the thing. Could it be that the generosity of this church is what leads a man who, is <clears throat> who has wrestled with addiction his whole life to this church, to salvation, to being a, a part of the body of Christ? Could it be generosity that did that? It's what it sounds like. I got nothing but praise for you guys. You guys are just absolutely amazing. And, and, you're, and the blessing of you all is extending far beyond these church walls. Just amazing. So guys, becoming a biblical giver, the couple of things we gotta do. If you want to be this person that God wants you to be as giving, as you move closer to the heart of God, you begin, be, begin to be a giver. First thing we gotta do, you guys, we gotta get out of debt. We gotta get out of debt. Romans 13, eight says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. We're supposed to leave no debt un, 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 you know, undone. We need to get serious about, being in, about getting out of debt. I know there are people in this church that you guys just want to give. I know your hearts. I do. I know you, and I know your hearts, but you can't because so much of your income is going to pay debts. I want you to dream with me for a second. You guys, focus on this. Check, check this out. What if, and what if every person in this church simply took what you paid in mortgage and credit card and car payments and student loans and all the things that we have on our shoulders and, and weighing us down. What if we were free of all those and we instead sent what we were sending to these companies? What if we were able to pull that 
and send it to the kingdom. So what if we were able to invest that in kingdom ministry? How much do you think we'd have? That's not even giving what, you know, that's not even giving more than you're giving now. That's just instead of sending it to credit card companies and mortgage companies and everything, sending it to the kingdom. How many children could we sponsor? How many churches could we plant? How many people could we bless if the body of Christ was out of debt? What could we do, you guys? I always have this dream of being able to send a million dollars to missions in a year? Well, I'll bet if we totaled up all the debt payments of everybody here, mortgage, credit cards, car loans, student loans, and everybody watching online, I bet that's a million dollars. I bet it is. See, God has placed these resources within us, and we're sending it to the wrong people. we got to get out of debt. And if you're serious about that, we teach Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University every January. Sign up for that. Learn how to get out of debt and go do it. And let's become a force in this world because of our generosity. There are a million guys out there like this that we could bless, whose families we could bless and find joy in it. The second thing we got to do we get out of debt. We got to get on a budget. It's a discipline, spiritual discipline. You got to get on a budget. Look at Proverbs 23, 5 says. This was the problem 3,000 years ago, you guys. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off the sky like an eagle. Yes, they will. Yes, if you don't have a plan for your money, your money will have a plan for you. Okay? Uh, giving is a discipline. You won't be a tither if you're not on a budget. You can try, but you're going to fail. You will. I've seen it, seen it an awful lot. If you have no idea where your money's going, you won't, be able to be, you won't be able to follow the biblical command to tithe. You'll be one of the multitudes of Americans out there who just wonder why there's so much month left over at the end of the money. And you live paycheck to paycheck like 72% of Americans do. Third thing we got to do is we got to determine, we got to give God what's right, not what's left. I wonder if there are people in here who simply just give God what's left. You know, I got this, I got this, I got this, and, and God, this is what I got left over. We have to flip that around. In the book, The Millionaire Next Door, he studied people that were millionaires and people that weren't with comparable incomes. He found one big thing was that when money was short at the end of the month, the people who were millionaires sacrificed going out to eat, sacrificed purchases. They didn't go shopping. That made, they still tithed and they still saved. They put the big rocks in first. That's why they were millionaires. The people that were not millionaires, when, when, when a month was short, they sacrificed saving and they sacrificed giving. They still went out to eat. They still bought what they wanted, but they sacrificed the two most important things. Okay? We have to give God what is right, not what is left. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I raised my hand in class one time when I read that in seminary. I said, does that mean that if we tithe, God gives us alcohol? I, I did ask that, and, and, the, and the guy said, hey, hey, it's the word of God. Take it up with God. You know, so, so, hey, I don't know how God's going to bless you, but he will. All right? And the last thing is, listen to this, guys. we got to start having fun. I don't know why giving is such a dirty word in churches. I was telling the elders when we were in our prayer time, like, how in the world did the church... And the people corrupt such an awesome thing like giving. 
How did that become a swear word in churches? Oh, you can't talk about giving. Oh, you can't talk about. How did that happen? Giving is the most fun thing we'll ever do. I love to give. I love to bless people. I love it. And why did that become such a terrible thing in the church? we got to reclaim the joy of being generous givers. We just have to. I love it. And I want you guys to do that too. 2 Corinthians 9-7 through says this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Loves it. Guys, why does God love a cheerful giver? Plain and simple. Because God is a cheerful giver. Giving is at his heart. And when you become that, he's like, this person is becoming like me. As we move closer and closer to the heart of God, we will become givers. If you're not a giver, if you're not a happy, a cheerful giver, if that doesn't just fire you up, I would argue you're not moving very close to the heart of God. Plain and simple. Being able to bless someone, you guys, one of the greatest joys in life. It really is. See, the main thing is that generosity is at the heart of God himself. Therefore, is at the heart of those who follow him as well. Y'all are an amazing church, probably the most generous giving church I've ever seen. What kind of people are y'all anyway? Seriously, I want to I share one thing. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I, I will share this. When the um, COVID panic hit, and everything was shut down, we were contacted by our mortgage company, the one that owns the mortgage to this, uh, and they were told, we were told to anticipate a 50% drop in giving. That's what we were told. That's what all of their figures and all of their statistics said, that churches were going to see a 50% drop in giving. And they said, we highly recommend, as the person who holds your mortgage, who owns your building, that you do nothing but pay bills and salaries to see what happens. That's what they said. No, no funding of ministry. Tell your missionaries you can't support them. This kind of thing. <clears throat> and um, we got together as a, uh, as a leadership team, staff, and we said we're not going to stop tithing. Our tithe, we tithe as a church. We, we, we support our missionaries. They, they depend on us and, and everything. Um, and uh, we're just going to see what happens. <clears throat> Um, not only did we not see a 50% drop in giving, we actually saw a 12% increase. At the time when everybody said that it's all going to fall apart, you guys gave more. And let me tell you what happened. Um, at this, if you were to look at our records last year to this point and this year to this point, you guys have given around ten dollars to $12,000 more than last year. To the general fund. Now, that, that's also to our orphanage and everything, but just to the general fund. Um, in order for you all to join us online, uh, for us to reach uh, uh, the members of our church who, who can't make it, and people around the world, our missionaries, people in this community, people that, that have never been part of a church, tune in every single Sunday. We love the fact that you're here. To do all that, we needed equipment to do it. You know how much all that equipment cost? About $11,000 to be able to offer this. So not only did you guys give more, but you gave so that we could reach people online. 
around the world. That's what that went to. That's what the excess went to. Listen, people, you can't outgive God. You think people are being reached because of our online? Re- Absolutely they are. And we love the fact that you're logging in with us. But it's because of the faithfulness of you all and the people who give online, we're able to do that. You all are amazing. And you've been a blessing to me and the staff. And for myself and the staff, we thank you for being the kind of people that you are. You're awesome. Let's keep it up. I want to invite Rob to come on up. Thank you all for your generous hearts and the kind of people you are because you are a blessing to more people than you would ever know. We're about to enter into our time of communion and offering and giving, uh, what Dave just talked about. And I wanted to share a story. Uh, when I was in college, um, I had a professor um, who actually recently passed away. Um, he's one of the mentors in my life. And uh, I took his Old Testament uh, poetry class. And in his class, before every single class, he shut off the lights. And he, was ra- he would raise his hands up like this. And he would pray for us. He would close his eyes. He would take off his glasses every single time. And when we got to a certain part in Scripture, he read this, and he explained why he did that. It said that this was the uh, priestly blessing that they would give um, to people, to, the, to God's people. It says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And I remember him after reading this to us and turning on the lights and if you looked at him he was in tears uh, because he he recognized how beautiful that scripture was because in the old testament like dave was talking about god was was uh, viewed as this this powerful and fearful god that you followed out of obedience because it was the right thing to do and never did he come down and just and just blessed by showing his face if you remember in the stories of moses whenever god uh, moses presented himself to God, he was terrified and he thought he was going to die because of how holy God was. And Moses said, no, this is the way God is. He wants to look upon you and give you peace. And the only way that we are going to recognize that in our life is if we understand Jesus. Because Jesus was the very first time that he, where God came down and entered into us so that we could have that face-to-face interaction with him. And we were no longer terrified, but he gave us peace and healed us. And the giving part of it is that because we are all little Christ, that what Dave said, we are all Christians, we are supposed to go into all the world and make disciples and share